Welcome to the next episode of the Edgar Rice Burroughs mini podcast. These short podcasts are meant to supplement the full-length episodes that I host along with Jess Terrell and Scott Stewart, in which we generally talk about one of uh, Burroughs' novels in detail. Right now, we're using the mini-podcast to do a chapter-by-chapter analysis of the 1912 novel Tarzan of the Apes. My name is Tim DeForest. I'm the author of several books about what I call pre-digital pop culture, such as uh, pulp magazines and old-time radio. I keep a blog about such things at comics, old-time radio, and other cool stuff. Now, today we'll be talking about Chapter 22, titled The Search Party, although the party in question does a lot more than search. Now, please note that I will be including spoilers for this chapter, uh, for this novel, and occasionally for later novels in the series. And I do recommend that you reread this chapter before listening to the podcast, as I will be assuming you're familiar with the events in it um, as I discuss them. Now, a few chapters ago, when Tarzan killed Turzog, the remaining apes of Kershak's tribe ceased to be a factor in the novel. This time, Burroughs uh, purposes a chapter to removing the natives from the story. He's essentially removing pawns from the board, as they are no longer needed in the the story he's telling. The battle with the natives is a pretty grim one, though it is typically well described and exciting. Burroughs is really in his wheelhouse when it comes to action scenes. An important plot point is the sailors finding what they believe to be confirmation of Darnot's death. They are mistaken, but it's a reasonable conclusion based on the information they have. Burroughs is skillfully setting up a situation in which Tarzan and Darnot are stuck in the jungle together for an extended time, giving Darnot time to teach Tarzan French and English. The other important part of this chapter has to do with character development. Jane, who has been pleased with Cecil's interest in her, is now frightened of it because she's in love with her so-called forest man. I like that Jane is still understandably confused on the point that the forest man is Tarzan. The fact that Tarzan can read and write English without being able to speak or understand it continues to cause confusion. Burroughs continues to follow the logic of the world he has built, and he thus makes that world more plausible. Cecil, in the meantime, is putting his foot in his mouth when he gets jealous of Tarzan. Male readers, I think, would both understand him and still wince at his poor impulse management here. He actually does it twice. The first time is just before Cecil heads out with the sailors and Jane asks him if he's seen the forest man. uh, Quoting directly from the novel, we did not see him, he replies quietly. He did not join us. And then after a moment of, uh, of thoughtful pause, possibly he joined his own tribe, the men who attacked us. He did not know why he had said it, for he did not believe it. The girl looked at him wide-eyed for a moment. No, she exclaimed vehemently, much too vehemently, he thought. It could not be. They were savages. Clayton looked puzzled. He is a strange, half-savage creature of the jungle, Miss Porter. We know nothing of him. He neither speaks nor understands under any European tongue. And his ornament and weapons are those of the West Coast savages. Clayton was speaking rapidly. There's no other human beings. Then the savages were within hundreds of miles, Miss Porter. He must belong to the tribe which attacked us, or at least to to some other equally savage. He may even be a cannibal. Then, later on in the novel, later on in the chapter, when he comes back after the battle, he does it again. The poor lieutenant, she asked. Can you find no trace of him? We were too late, Miss Porter, he replied sadly. Tell me, what happened, she asked. I cannot, Miss Porter. It's too horrible. You do not mean that they had tortured him, she whispered. 
we do not know what they did to him before they killed him, he replied, his face drawn with fatigue and sorrow, and the sorrow he felt for poor Darnot, and he emphasized the word before. Before they killed him? What do you mean? They are not. They are not. She was thinking of what Clayton had said of the, of the forest man's probable relationship to this tribe, and she could not frame the awful world, word. Yes, Miss Porter. Yes, Miss Porter. They were cannibals, he said, almost bitterly. For to him, to him, too, had suddenly come the thought of the forest man, and the strange, unaccountable jealousy he had felt two days before swept over him once more. And then, in sudden brutality that was uh, as unlike Clayton as courteous consideration is unlike an ape, he blurred out, When your forest god left you, he was doubtless hurrying to the feast. Now, to be fair to Cecil, he does regret it and try to apologize, but he continues to get the cold short shoulder from Jane who is now worried that Cecil might be right about the man she loves. Now, my wife Angela, reading this chapter, says that she actually felt a lot of sympathy for Cecil, because he is essentially a nice guy. And the chapter ends with Burroughs trying to insert some humor, but it's sadly based on Esmeralda's, Esmeralda's racial caricature and simply falls flat for a modern reader. Well, that's it for this time. Once again, my name is Tim DeForest. Please visit my blog at Comics, Old Time Radio, and other cool stuff. Uh, you can find a link to my Amazon.com author page there. And keep an ear out for future podcasts. We appreciate your listening. And if you are enjoying the work we're doing on these podcasts, we would appreciate it if you take a moment to leave a review on iTunes. Thank you very much.